something that God has really burdened my heart about, and it's in regards to restoring our worship, and that's what I want to talk to you about again today. Last week, if you will remember, I was referencing Romans chapter 1. Now, Romans 1 is going to be the foundation of everything that I talk about today, but I'm not going to be able to go to it and really read it for the sake of time. I have other passages that I want to read and talk to you about. So I do intend to come to Ezekiel 16 today. So if you would turn there in your Bibles, I'm pretty sure we're going to come to this chapter and read some things that are there. But it is my desire to lift up Jesus and to bring glory to his name because he is the one that we gather for. He's the one that we come to. He is the one that we seek to honor. And I believe with all of my heart that we need to have a correct view of God, a biblical view of God. And we need to have the power of the Holy Spirit to properly worship the Lord. Isn't it wonderful that Jesus Christ said that the Father is looking for those who worship him in spirit and in truth. And it is wonderful that the God, our Father, has given us the Holy Spirit so we can worship God. And I just want to assure you guys today, 2,000 years after Jesus Christ has ascended into heaven, it is still possible for men and women on the earth to worship God in reverence and in holiness and properly to the Lord. However, Romans chapter 1 warns us that when we change the image of the uncorruptible God into an image like man or four-footed beast and fowls of the air, then we have brought God down. And as a result of that, we begin to worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. And God says, as a result of that, I will hand you over to a reprobate mind and you will do those things that are not convenient. And in our world today and in our culture today, especially over the last many years, there has been an explosion of absolute confusion, immorality, and ungodliness. An explosion in homosexuality. There's gender confusion, political confusion, spiritual confusion. There's confusion everywhere. And people might be wondering why. Well, it's just the times. It's just the world that we live in. Men are waxing worse. I suppose any of those reasons could be true. But I do know that Romans chapter 1 tells us that when we begin to worship anything other than God, and if the God that we are worshiping, you can call him Jesus, the new age has thousands of Jesuses in it, and the devil doesn't care if you name some God Jesus, as long as it's not the Jesus of the Bible, the devil's not going to bother you because you're doing exactly what he wants you to do, and we're going to lose our culture to that. I believe that the rescue of this culture is the proper worship of God. That we understand who He is. We honor Him for who He is. And He is exalted in our hearts and in our spirits as the omnipotent God who is to be reverenced and feared. And so I just, this is my heart and I pray that it will be true of you. I believe that there's a serious darkness that comes over believers today and it's frightening to see it. And, and even more frightening is the lack of faith that we might find in believers to do the simple things that can be done to overcome darkness and despair in our life. For example, Romans chapter 1 says, when they knew God, they didn't glorify Him as God and neither were they thankful. Therefore, their minds became vain and their hearts became dark. Dark. 
And vain minds are just minds that are negative. It always sees the bad. It always sees the wrong. It always sees the fault. All of those things. And then a darkened heart is a heart that has no hope. It is a heart of despair. It sees no way out. Nothing will ever change. This is the way it's going to be. It's only going to get worse is what your mind is telling you. And all of that is the result of a people who do not thank God. And they do not glorify Him as God. And beloved, I say to you that the way out of depression and the way out of despair and the way out of oppression and negative thoughts and always seeing the bad and all of those things, begin to glorify God. Begin to thank God. And I'm not talking about any God because maybe you've changed God from who He really is into some other uncreative thing in your own mind. But if you worship the God of the Bible and you begin to glorify Him and you begin to thank Him, I assure you that light will come back into your hearts and into your minds. You will see things right and correctly. You will know them the way that God knows them. And you will become an avenue of God being able to rescue people that are perishing all around us. And for God's sake, even some of your grandchildren and children are perishing. And it's not because of a lack of theology. It's not even because you lack correct doctrine, but you lack the presence and the reality of God in your life. And only God can make those things right. And even in saying that, and I know that, I know that there are many of you here today that are depressed and oppressed on any given day, but you're not going to praise Him. You're not going to thank Him. You're not going to glorify Him. And you're going to ask God, oh God, help me. Oh, He's going, didn't you hear the preacher Sunday morning? When are you going to do this, you know, for your life? And, and so this is what God prescribes. And we give it to you and we pray that by faith you will begin to exercise this in your life. I want to exalt the majesty of God because God is worthy and he is the only one that is. Millions who live in the land of Bibles, who belong to churches and labor to promote the Christian religion, may yet pass their whole life on this earth without once having thought or tried to think seriously about the being of God. Few of us have let our hearts gaze in wonder at the I am. The self-existent self, back of which no creature can think. Such thoughts are too painful for us. And for this we are now paying a too heavy price in the secularization of our religion and the decay of our culture. Acquaint yourself with God. The God we must learn to know is the majesty in the heavens. God, the Father Almighty, He is the maker of heaven and earth. He is the only wise God and our Savior. It is He that sits upon the circle of the earth, who stretches out the heavens as a curtain and spreads them out as a tent to dwell in. It is God who brings His starry host out by number and calls them all by name. And He does this through the greatness of His power. Who sees the work of man as vanity. Who puts no confidence in princes. And asks no counsel of kings. This knowledge of such a being cannot be gained by study alone. This God is spiritual. And he is discerned and known spiritually. And apprehended and known by the spirit. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. The God of my rock, in Him will I trust. 
He is my shield, the horn of my salvation. He is my high tower, my refuge, my savior. He saves me from violence. The Lord is worthy to be praised. The Lord hears. He shakes the earth, causing it to tremble as he comes to the rescue of his saints. Even the heavens are moved as he swiftly comes to their rescue. With smoke billowing from his nostrils and fire streaming from his mouth. He breaks open the heavens to rescue his saints. Darkness is under his feet. He flies on the backs of cherubs. He rides on the wings of the wind. Darkness is his pavilion. Dark waters and thick clouds. He thunders from heaven. His voice is mighty. Lightnings are his arrows. And this God is merciful to the merciful. But the proud man has met his match. God will bring him down. He will be pure to the pure. But the wicked will be dealt with severely. He saves the afflicted. But he will bring down the arrogant. God lightens darkness. God's way is perfect. There is no God but the Lord. No rock but our God. God is our strength and our power. God teaches us to war. He is the living God. The rock of our salvation. The Lord is the tower of my salvation. The Lord is the king. And that is what King David wrote about God in 2 Samuel 22. That is the God that I desire to worship. To know God is at once the easiest and the most difficult thing in the world. It is easy because the knowledge of God is not won or gained by mental toil. But it is something rather freely given to those who are hungry to know. The God of Abraham has withdrawn his conscious presence from us. And another God whom our fathers knew not is making himself at home among us. This God we have made. And because we have made him, we can understand him. Because we have created him, he can never surprise us. He will never overwhelm us, nor astonish us, nor transcend us. And that was the tragedy in Romans 1. They changed the uncorruptible God. However, the God of the prophets and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ desires to be the God of our day. We have only to prepare for him a habitation in love, faith, and humility. We have but to only want him badly enough. And when we do, he will come and he will manifest himself to those whose hearts truly desire God. Jesus Christ is transcendent. Jesus Christ is the one and only unique son of God. Jesus Christ is like no other. For everyone else had a beginning. You're immortal, but you're not eternal. You had a beginning, but you will have no end. But the man Jesus Christ who walked among us is eternal. He had no beginning and he will have no end. But at some point, the father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, planted this seed into a young girl named Mary. And it was the incarnation of the Son of God into this world. God in his glory wrapped in human flesh. 
But never underestimate him as people so commonly did. For this Jesus that was mocked and scorned and crucified and led away to be buried in a borrowed tomb will come again and every eye will see him. And he will come with the armies of heaven and he will come and men will bow before him. He will come with authority and power and glory. He will come with an unveiled glory that all men will see. Men will fall upon him or they will be crushed by him. This Jesus is not to be trifled with. He is to be worshipped as God. And he is to be served devotedly. Jesus is astounding. He grips the hearts of people from all walks of life. Since the time of his arrival on earth, multitudes of people, men and women, boys and girls, the young and the old, the poor and the rich, have flocked to Jesus Christ. 2,000 years later, they still do. From every race and tribe and people and tongue. They have surrendered their hearts to this one, Jesus Christ. He is not a passing fad. He is not a fairy tale. He is the center of all history. He is the image of the invisible God. To be stunned by Jesus is to be stunned by God. They gave him their lives, their hearts and their worship. They forsook fortunes and fame. Great men. And lowly men, famous men, and ignorant men followed Jesus Christ. Men who changed history and sired nations fell on their knees and worshipped this Jesus Christ. And many were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Oh, worship God. Enjoy this God. For that is the sole duty of man. And it is the longing of every one of you to know God. Do not allow yourself to be deceived or robbed of the greatest privilege for which you were created. And that is the knowledge and the intimacy of God being near you. If a man does not worship God, he is a broken man and his world is a broken world. The heart is the primary issue. It is all that God has ever wanted from man and it is what God has sought for man to give him. Jesus is the hero of heaven The hero of the ages, the hero of the church. But is he yours? Is he your hero? In Romans chapter 1, the collapse of society is because Jesus no longer remained the hero. And the uncontrollable, unfathomable God that demanded worship because he was worthy and is worthy. Men could not control this God and we couldn't put him in our test tube. So we changed him. To be somewhat like us. And thus the collapse of society is everywhere. And I say abandon the God in your test tube. And abandon the God under your microscope. And look into the heavens at the wonders of his hands. And fall before the God of gods. And worship him. And God will come. God will come and God will restore things to himself. And the light will break forth in our streets and our schools and our marketplaces again. And people will marvel at God. They may not follow him, but they will marvel at him. Oh, that the church would be able to be such a representation of God. But when God is not right in the life, then the life is broken. And if the life is broken, then broken lives. And I don't mean in the sense of a, a humble person before God. I mean a messed up person is not very capable of helping broken people. And I wanted to give you a testimony of mine that is 
fresh in my heart and my, my memory right now. I grew up in a, in a very religious Christian family. And we were always in church and we were always going to church. And we were told and commanded to do right and to live right. And oftentimes we were set up on that way through strict discipline. And I loved the Lord. I met Jesus when I was five years old. I stole some gum out of a grocery store. It was 7-Eleven at the time. And I got home with it. Nobody saw me. And I started to unwrap it and eat it in my bedroom. And I heard a voice that said, I hope it's worth hell. There was nobody in the room but me. And I began to tremble. I was scared. What, what is this hell you're talking about? It only cost a penny. And the voice came back to me and said, you are a thief. You are a sinner. And thieves and sinners go to hell. And the little knowledge that I had of Jesus, and I pity parents who do not have their children in church. The little knowledge that I had, I knew Jesus was my hope. Five years old, crying my eyes out because I'm about to go to hell. I begged whoever Jesus is to save me. And he came into that room and he saved me. And that began a relationship with me and Jesus Christ that would guide and govern the rest of my life. Not people, not daddies, not mamas, not grandparents, but this Jesus Christ that rescued me became something to me. And I began to follow him that day because he saved me. I wasn't just grateful that I'd go to heaven one day. He saved me. And I loved him for it. And I wanted to know him. When I turned six years old, I desired to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I began to seek the Lord at six years old to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And one day, Jesus Christ baptized me in his Holy Spirit. And I'm six years old and I'm speaking in tongues. And I'm worshiping God. I was raised in a Presbyterian church until I was 15. We left that church to go into a fundamental Baptist church. And then we left that to go into a Southern Baptist church. I appreciate believers in every church. I appreciate the believers that are in Presbyterian churches and Baptist churches and so forth. They're my brothers and my sisters and I love them and I appreciate them. But at six years old, I became a Pentecostal. I was a spirit-filled believer and I wasn't giving this up for anybody because my friend and my Savior, Jesus Christ, gave me the Holy Spirit when I was six years old. And all I knew was this Holy Spirit was showing me things about Jesus when I was six that was absolutely astounding to me. I couldn't get enough of him. But rules and regulations which parents have to do We're not absent from my life. And I can remember as I was growing up and I was not a perfect person. And I say this and I honestly believe it with all of my heart. I have been and I am the worst child that God has. I am. And he chastens me daily. Severely. To keep me in line that I might be a partaker of his holiness. And I'm grateful for that. 
I have a wild, rebellious streak in me. I am stubborn and hard-headed, full of pride and arrogance, acquainted with unbelief, to do my own thing instead of God's thing. This is the battle in me, but God wins. But I remember as I was growing up and I was graduating from high school that I just wanted to leave town. I wanted to go to a university somewhere else. And so I was decided upon it. I was going to go to school in Hammond. And I had a few friends from high school that were also going to go to school there. And me and one of my friends that we grew up together, we were put together. We were going to be roommates together. We had known each other since we were children. He was not a Christian. I was a Christian. They knew I was a Christian. But when we got to Hammond, to Southeastern, my family was not there. There was nobody there to govern me. There was nobody there to tell me what to do. I was free to do practically whatever I wanted to do and nobody would know. I lived in a dorm where only one person knew me and that was my roommate and he wasn't a Christian. So there wasn't any influence. There wasn't any restraining power upon my life. And I come into this dorm and it was a horrible dorm. It was condemned the next semester as unfit to live in. We had a house mother. The, I lived on the second floor with about, I don't know, I would assume about 30 guys were up there. Two to a room. We didn't have our own bathrooms in our room. There was a community bathroom, showers and, and toilets and stuff. And so you just go in there to shower and use the restroom, whatever it is, throughout the day and night. I didn't like that. Very uncomfortable with that, but that's what you'd have to do. And so as everybody got there and we met everybody in the dorm, they were talking about themselves, not a lot of information, just where we're from and everything. And so I was very careful and I was very quiet. I wasn't going to expose myself as a Christian or anything of that nature. And I was just going along with everybody. And Tuesday night was this big party night. And everybody was going to be going out to the bars. And so all of the guys just assumed that everybody on the second floor was going. This is going to be a um, initiation of friendship. Everybody's going to the bar. There were two guys on my floor that lived on the opposite end. They were seniors in school and they were kind of the, the, the men who would oversee that floor and they were Christians. And I knew that they were Christians. They knew I was a Christian, but they were the only ones that did. And I didn't know them until I just met them. And so everybody's talking about going out to the bars that night. And they're all going to be getting ready in the bathroom because that's the only place you can get ready. They're going to say, you're coming, aren't you, Lee? You're coming. And I didn't give an answer, really. I wanted to go. I really did. I wanted to experience these things. I wanted to see what it was all about. There was an excitement in me to go. I really wanted to. I was in my dorm room. I was by myself. And my friend spoke to me. My Jesus. And he said, what are you going to do? I said, I think I'm going to go. And Jesus said, how can you do that to me? What have I ever done to you? And I said, Lord, I'm not going to drink. 
I'm not going to, I'm not going to get drunk. I'm, I'm just going to go and maybe I'll have an opportunity to witness. And he said to me, if you do this, you will never have the opportunity that I want to give you this semester. You will ruin it all. And the Lord told me, I'm not going to stop you. If you want to go, you can go. I'm not going to stop you. But you have a choice to make. And that choice is not whether you go or not. That choice is me and my glory are what those guys want you to do and what you want to discover. And I said to the Lord, I won't go. And the Lord said, I don't want you to not go that way. I want you to not go because I want you to be with me. I want you to not want to go. So you can be with me. And I said, well, I don't really want to be with you right now. And I, I, I feel that you're robbing me and taking things from me. He said, I told you I'd let you go. But what I have planned for you this semester will be lost. And I said, well, Lord, I choose you. I choose you. I was faced in that moment, guys, with a decision. To break my understanding of God. And to make him something less than he is. And my worship would have reflected that. But God maintained himself in my understanding as the lofty and worthy God that he is. And I told the Lord, I choose you. My roommate walked into the room and he said, why aren't you getting ready? And I said, I'm not going. I said, Peter, you know, I'm a Christian. And not because I can't go because the Lord even told me he would let me. But he asked me to stay here with him. I'm not going. And Peter was fine with it. That was my roommate. Several years ago, he committed suicide. I was able to witness to him every day of his life. So they're all getting ready. And the two guys at the end of the hall are having a Bible study. And the Lord said, now, this is what I want to do tonight. I want to go to Bible study. And I'm like, yes. All right. So I get my pocket Bible. And the Lord says, no, I don't want to use the pocket Bible today. I want you to get your big Bible that you can't hide. And I want you to walk down that hall. And I want you to go to Bible study. And there's maybe 14 guys, 16 guys that are all in the bathroom in the hall. They're all congregating, so they're flooding outside. And I'm walking down the hall with my big Bible. And they see it. And they immediately begin. You're one of those. You're one of those. Boy, they cursed me all the way down that hall. They said everything they could think of all the way down that hall. I've never felt 
in my life such an embrace of Jesus as he would just say to doesn't it feel good? Because they know that you're mine and I'm yours. Doesn't it feel good? I have a plan. Just stay with me. So we went into Bible study. Later, I was able to lead one young man to the Lord. And he became a believer. He got really excited about Jesus and I was able to disciple him. That hall was so evil. Those guys were so wicked. Several of them were bouncers in some of the bars. But we continued to live our life openly as Christians. They would key the car of the guys down the hall. They would paint it and spray paint it and cursing and everything else. And 666, they took a dummy that they had made out of the drama school. It looked just like one of the young men. And they hung him outside the second floor window and went and grabbed the woman, old lady, who's watching over the whole dorm and said, so-and-so killed himself. Gosh, come and see. And she ran out there. She almost had a heart attack. Seeing what she thought was one of the young men hung on that second. They just laughed at her. These people had no sense whatsoever of decency. And so one night. I'm in bed. It's towards the end of the semester. And I'm sleeping. And it's about 2.40 in the morning. I knew it was before 3 o'clock. And I wake up. And the Lord says go to the bathroom. I said, I don't have to go to the bathroom. And the Lord said, go to the bathroom. And I'm thinking, it's me. I don't really need to go to the restroom. I'll just go back to sleep. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, your friend needs you in the bathroom right now. Go to the bathroom. I went into the bathroom. And there was... Approximately 26 men that were in that bathroom talking to that one young man I had just led to the Lord a month earlier. Asking him all about his life in Jesus. And when I walked in there, my friend said to me openly in front of everybody, thank God you're here. I didn't know what else to say. I was praying God would send somebody. And we were able to share the gospel with those 26 men. And in a filthy bathroom, every one of them got on their knees and prayed to give their hearts to Jesus Christ. And that was the plan of God. And I could have wrecked it. I'm not saying God wouldn't have been able to do it, but he wouldn't have been able to do it with me. Because I would have wrecked a testimony that God wanted to use in my life. I would have changed my worship because I would have changed my God into a God that made it acceptable to do the things that I wanted it to do. But God was not acceptable with that. And he kept himself high and holy and lofty in my heart and in my worship and in my thoughts. And he was the true friend of my life that I had met when I was five years old. And I love him. And to this day, I serve Jesus. I don't serve churches and I don't serve people. I serve Jesus Christ because I love Jesus Christ. And if I didn't love Jesus, I would not love you. And I would not serve you. Jesus Christ is the fundamental difference of my life. And I cherish him. I'm 57. 
I've known him for 52 years, 52 years. He astonishes me today. I can't wait to be with him. Please take this the right way. I can't wait to leave you to be with him. I can't wait when I'm in my house to be able to just get away for a few minutes, even from my wife and my kids, and they understand this, just to go and sit in my office and just be with my friend and my God and my lover. And you know what breaks my heart? The number of Christians that are sitting here today and you have no idea what I'm talking about. You have no idea. It's not Jesus that keeps you. It's not Jesus that leads you. It's not Jesus that fascinates you. But he wants to be. He wants to be. It's a heart issue. He doesn't want you to be a preacher. What's God's will for my life? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. What is the greatest thing I can do for God before I die? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. That's the greatest thing anybody can do. And the last thing God needs is another preacher. Just bring a donkey in here and God will do a great work. He doesn't need a new worship team. He doesn't need this really new worship song or this really great intellectual message that's going to turn the world upside down. We've had them. He needs authentic worship. He, he wants hearts that, that love him. It's all he's ever wanted. He wants somebody that he can talk to. Even come into your life and say, I'll let you do it. I won't stop you. But we need to talk before you do it. You need to understand what's going on. Do you have that Jesus in your life? No, I haven't been perfect from then. I've done a lot of things he's had to come and chasten me about. I am the worst child in the house. I am. Ezekiel Chapter 16. Just going to read some of this with you. Because I think it shows the heart of God. This is the Lord speaking to Israel. But the, the terms and the endearment of God. If you can just focus on that. As for your nativity. In the day you were born, your navel was not cut. You were not washed in water, supple you. You were not salted at all. You weren't even swaddled. So in other words, picture this baby that's just born, covered in its blood, naked, and thrown to the side of the road. That's what God found when he found Israel. No one pitied you. No I pitied you to do any of these things to you. To have compassion on you. But you were cast out in the open field. 
to the loathing of your person in the day you were born. When I passed by you, I saw you polluted in your own blood. I said to you, when you were in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you, when you were in your blood, live. I have ceased. I have caused you to multiply as the bud of the field. And you have increased and waxed great. And you are come to excellent ornaments. Your breasts are fashioned. Your hair is grown. Whereas you were naked and bare. And now when I passed by you and looked upon you. And behold your time was the time of love. And I spread my skirt over you. And covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore to you and entered into a covenant with you, saith the Lord God, and you became mine. Then I washed you with water. I thoroughly washed away your blood from you. And I anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with broidered work and shod you with Badger skins and girded you about with fine linen. I covered you with silk. I decked you also with ornaments. And I put bracelets upon your hands. And a chain on your neck. And I put a jewel on your forehead. And earrings in your ears. And a beautiful crown upon your head. How you were decked with gold and silver. And your raiment was fine linen and silk. Embroidered work. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You're exceeding beautiful. And you did prosper into a kingdom. And your fame went forth among the heathen for your beauty. For it was perfect through my comeliness. Which I put upon you, says the Lord God. But you did trust in your own beauty and played the harlot because of your fame and poured out your fornications on everyone that passed by. His it was. And of your garments you did take and decked your high places with divers colors and played the harlot thereupon. The like things shall not come, neither shall it be so. You have also taken your fair jewels of my gold and my silver, which I have given you, and made to yourselves images of men, and did commit whoredom with them. This is idolatry. And God goes on to say in this chapter, because of idolatry, you're going to kill your children. You're going to burn them at the altars of false gods. Maybe today God said you're going to abort them. You're not going to care for your children and you're not going to be able to save them. Christian grandparents, Christian parents, your children are suffering. Not from a lack of truth. 
but a lack of worship. And you read it through chapter 16, and you see the tragedies that come upon them, much like the tragedies, God says in Romans 1, will happen. And he says in verse 32, but as a wife that commits adultery, which takes strangers instead of her husband. And I just, man, I, I read this chapter, man. He's the great lover. And all he's wanted was your heart. And you can read these things that God did for Israel. Told you to live. Did he not tell you to live? Israel was covered in her blood. You were covered in your sins. Did he not tell you to live? Did he not wash your blood off of you? Did he not wash your sins off of you? Did he not raise you and grow you up so that you could be the bride of Jesus Christ? And then he comes by as time passes and he says, oh, you're grown now. You're matured now. It's the time of love. Love me. I've, I've adorned you with spirit of God. I've, I've adorned you with joy. I've adorned you with gladness. I've adorned you with life. I've adorned you with everything. And no, we, we run and we play the harlot with everything. We play the harlot with sports and activities and business and money and church and church growth and all. We, we play the harlot with everything. And, and God is just like, wait a minute. You were mine. I wanted your love. It was for me. But now you're giving it to everyone else. And as a result of that, culture and society breaks down. And the restoration of it all is for us to worship God. And that's what worship is. It's love. It's love. You mean more to me than anything, God. And it's not ministries and positions and titles and jobs and executive positions and recognition and fame and for No, it's not. It's not those things. How many times is Jesus going to be taken and put second and other things are going to be put before him? And we don't. Here's the here's the rub of it all. We, we don't even know what we do. We, we don't even know. I, I'm, I'm not going to say that we don't care. We don't know. And God's standing there and he said, wait, wait a minute. It's the time of love and all I want to do is love you. I want to love you. I'm not trying to get a missionary out of you. I'm not trying to get your money. Your gold, I gave it to you. Your silver, I gave that to you. Why would I want that back? You're my bride. 
I want the world to watch how we love one another. They'll come. Because I want to love them too. And the desire of God is that. So the greatest thing a man can do is to love the Lord his God with all of his heart, soul, and mind. And I beg you, I beg you people. Don't let these drab, cold, unspiritual Christians of intellect rob you of your worship of the living God. Don't let people tell you how to worship God who do not know how to express their passion and their love and their desire and their hunger for the living God. Don't let drab intellectuals who have no emotion and no investment into this thing try to tell you or define for you what worship is. Why does God have a bride? Why does God call himself a father? Why does God declare himself a husband? Why does God count the tears in his, keep the tears in his bottle? Why does God number the very hair upon your head? Because he loves you. He loves you. And the only thing he wants back is your love. Your love. To know him for who he is. To love him. To really love him. I want to pursue holiness. The devil would tell me the pursuit of holiness is boring. It's a drudgery. The pursuit of holiness is you can't have any fun. And God, no, no, no. Holiest people in the universe are those that are in heaven. And I don't think they would change places with you or me in a second. But I think we'd change places with them in a second. I want to know that God. Oh, I want to know him. I want to love him. I want Jesus to govern my life. I don't want to lose my relationship with him. Please don't be padded to sleep in a comfortable church or some dead minister who doesn't know what he's talking about and doesn't know who he's talking about. Don't be padded to sleep by some Christian father who can't even kiss you. He's going to tell you how to worship God by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the word of the living God press into his presence and believe that he is. And he's waiting for you. And you'll find him there. And he'll give food to the hungry. And he'll give water to the thirsty. And you will go forth like a bride on her wedding day. With such exuberance and joy and life and freedom. And you will be an influence upon hundreds if not thousands of lost people. Who are looking for love and meaning. And it's all in Jesus Christ. I want you to stand with me. Oh God. I'm just. Look I'm not going to press this. If Jesus means anything to you at all. Press into him right now. If I have to beg you. Or ask you to do something. I'm just too tired to keep doing that. 
Jesus has to be enough. Is he enough? When was the last time you spent time with him? I'm not asking when was the last time you prayed. Or when was the last time you listened to a worship song? When was the last time it was just you and Jesus? And you loved it. He loves it. He loves it. He loves you. And isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing that he loves us so much? How great is his love? How great is his kindness? How great is his mercy? With all of my heart, Father, I long to worship you. With all of my mind and all of my strength, I long to love you, but I fail. You've never failed to love me, but I have failed. But I thank you for the gift of the precious Holy Spirit who imparts to me the power and the love to be able to return to you. And thank you when you saw me covered in my sin, you said to live and not die. Thank you. Five years old, scared to go to hell. You washed me. Thank you. And you helped me to grow up, to be a lover, a worshiper. I'd rather be a worshiper than a preacher. I'd rather be a lover than a prophet. I'd rather know you than know semantics.